0: a philosopher, a scientist, he's an adventurer, he's a merchant inventor, he's a satirist, a prisoner of conscience. I think the title Renaissance Man was almost coined for Eccleston.
1: This is 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. I'm Rachel Roberts, the collections registrar for Lancaster City Museums, and today we'll be looking at the stories behind another object from our collections as we celebrate 100 years of our museums. Today's object is a commemorative item which can tell us the story of two exceptional men who were connected by politics and events in a tumultuous time in history. Today's object is a George Washington medal made by Daniel Eccleston. The medal doesn't have a ribbon and isn't designed to be worn. It's more of a commemorative coin made to memorialise the life of George Washington. It's bronze in colour and quite large and heavy for a coin or medal at seven and a half centimetres across. On one side is an image of George Washington in profile. His hair is curled and tied up with a ribbon and he wears elaborate clothing, which, from the studs around his shoulders, may be intended to represent some sort of armour. He stares resolutely and heroically ahead, As if looking into the future. Around him is written, General Washington, inscribed to his memory by D. Eccleston, Lancaster, with the date 1805 in Roman numerals. The other side features lots more writing, ranged around a small image of a Native American with bow and arrow. The writing on this side reads, He laid the foundation of American liberty in the 18th century. Innumerable millions yet unborn will venerate the memory of the man who obtained their country's freedom. The land was ours. This medal works to commemorate two figures from history, George Washington, who is was shown on it, and Daniel Eccleston, the man who designed and made it. This is just one of many coins, tokens and medals that Eccleston made, and have survived to feature in the museum collection. We spoke to Dr Mark McClay, a lecturer in US history at Lancaster University, to find out more about this intriguing and sometimes eccentric figure from Lancaster's history. He started off by summing up Eccleston's life, and telling us why he found
0: him such an interesting figure. Daniel Eccleston's born in Corner Row, Lancashire, in 1745. He lives a long and, as we'll discuss, eventful life for the times. You know, he dies in 1821, so he almost reaches 80 years old. He's born to Quaker parents, and he has a somewhat complicated relationship with that church. And essentially, in terms of if we're thinking about Lancaster, he settles in Lancaster in 1781 and stays for about 16 years, doing various jobs, for instance, as an insurance broker, a liquor merchant, he does some odd and magnificent things while he's there. For instance, he invents and manufactures large wheels to allow people to cross Markham Bay. And really, like if we look at the scope of Eccleston's life, I think that the sort of title Renaissance Man was almost coined for Eccleston. He's alternatively a philosopher, a scientist, He's big into thinking about politics. He's an adventurer. He's a merchant inventor. He's a satirist, a prisoner of conscience. You've got a lot of things going on here. And a lot of this is wonderfully captured, if anyone wants to know more about him, by a piece by Carolyn Downs, who's written on Eccleston extensively. Beyond that, as we'll touch upon, he's a bit of a radical for his day. And I would also say for reasons, again, I'll touch upon in a minute, he's quite a brave figure compared with some of his contemporaries who were also radicals and often publishing anonymously whereas Eccleston was often happy to put his name to things.
1: Eccleston may have been a complex and radical individual but he was also living in complex and radical times filled with new thoughts, changes to the old order and revolutions. We asked Mark to put Eccleston's life into the context of this period of history and asked if Eccleston's beliefs ever landed him in any trouble.
0: Eccleston, uh, he might not have viewed it this way, but you could perhaps say he was cursed to live during interesting times, uh, as the saying often goes. He is very much a product, uh, I think it's fair to say, of the Enlightenment. That sort of great movement that was particularly around Europe and, and the United Kingdom um, is quite prominent from where I'm from, in Scotland as well, the Scottish Enlightenment. And it's essentially this intellectual movement that's trying to apply reason to life's problems rather than just assuming that religion and tradition have the answer to all of life's questions. You know, what are the rights of man? Of course, back then they said man rather than, rather than people. To which men do they, these rights belong? Um, what is a just government? All these kind of big questions. And as well as this intellectual movement, you also have revolutions that were shaping the political discourse of the day. Given the topic of today, we'll talk a bit about the American Revolution. But particularly for those living in Britain at the time, perhaps the bigger influence was the French Revolution, mainly because it was scaring the living daylights out of the British government, who was fearing that. Just like the, the the French premier had had his head lopped off that perhaps the same might happen to the British establishment with people arguing for the rights of, of man at the time. And so you have what was known as the reign of terror going on during Eccleston's adult life under Pitt's government, which was cracking down on, on radical thinkers who they feared might start a British revolution, a la the French one. And I, th- I think Carolyn Downs captures it well when she says Eccleston was an enlightenment radical prepared to defend with his pen and a consequent loss of his liberty, the rights of the British to freedom of thought, speech, worship and writing. So I think that captures how he fits in to, to the wider milieu of the time. In 1798, Eccleston is imprisoned in Lancaster Castle. And this was due to a controversial publication that he wrote. He published a book and among various things that would have captured the eye of the authorities at the time, one of the points he makes in the books is that he himself doesn't argue that he's an atheist, but he says that Atheists or atheism shouldn't just be something that is dismissed and punished automatically. And while this in today's day and age doesn't sound that particularly scary in any way, you know, it was very much heretical. It fitted into the fears of the time and overthrowing of of ancient institutions, most notably the church. And and obviously in Britain, the, the church is linked to the state. Interestingly, while the publisher doesn't put their name on this book, Eccleston does put his name on it and this was at a time when many other radicals were writing their tracks anonymously so to avoid any punishment from the authorities there is consequences for for him putting his name on this when he finds himself as I said imprisoned in Lancaster Castle
1: But there's another figure we need to speak about in this story. The man whose image features on the medal, George Washington. Washington is almost a man who needs no introduction. But Mark gave us a quick summary of his life and why, when this medal was made in 1805, just six years after Washington's death, he had achieved almost legendary status.
0: I'm sure most listeners will have heard of George Washington. and um, He is very much synonymous with the United States of America, You know, to the extent that he had the moniker Father of His Country. Indeed, to this day, he continues to be lauded in American public life and folklore, really kind of for two or three main reasons. The first of which is the fact that he was the commander of the Continental Forces in America's Wars of Independence. Essentially, his military leadership is seen as key in defeating the British, and thus leading former colonies on the eastern seaboard of what is now the United States to establish what we now know as the USA. Secondly, Washington was the first president of the United States. At the end of the wars, he was so popular in his country that he presided over the constitutional convention that would birth the nation. And if you've ever heard anyone banging on about the US Constitution, as they like to do, then that is where that was written. And pretty much everyone in attendance at this convention knew That Washington was going to be the first president. And indeed, he was elected unanimously in the the Electoral College. And I guess as an addendum to that, why he's really lauded in historical memory, particularly by Americans, is that at the end of his second term, Washington voluntarily steps aside, steps down from power, and allows a peaceful transition to the second president. And given how young a democracy America was, the fact that democracy itself is a very new idea at this point, it was seen as a great act of statesmanship, that Washington relinquishes power voluntarily, rather than setting a precedent whereby the president is essentially king, which was one of the things that was a great fear in the United States, because after all, they'd thrown off King John III in Britain. Now, in modern days, Washington has faced more criticism, for instance, for his ownership of slaves, whom he freed upon his death. Nonetheless, he remains a broadly popular figure in US history, and, of course, his legacy lives on in the fact that Americans have named almost everything after him, including the capital, an entire state. You can almost throw a stone in any direction in the United States, something will be named after George Washington.
1: So we can understand from his politics and the radical environment in which Eccleston was living why he might find George Washington to be a figure worthy of being commemorated with a medal. But, in fact, there was more than just an intellectual link between the two men.
0: I found this fascinating when I was looking into it, you know. Before Eccleston settles in Lancaster, as a young man about 24 years old in the late 1760s, so we're talking before the Wars of Independence, but while some troubles are brewing in the colonies in North America, he travels to North America and he tours across the country. He goes beyond the British colonies on the eastern seaboard. For instance, he travels into what we now know as the Midwest across the Great Lakes region. And indeed here, for instance, he has experiences at close quarters and is helped out by Native Americans. But he eventually, towards the end of the trip, spends a few days with George Washington at his home in Mount Vernon. There he gets to know Washington and sort of has a fondness for him for the the rest of his life. Eccleston eventually returns to the UK around 1772. So he does return home before the trouble from the British perspective of the Boston Tea Party and then the onset of the Wars of Independence. But to get to a sort of motivation as to why he would then make this medal, which he does in 1805 after Washington's passing, it's really a kind of way of Eccleston thumbing his nose at the British authorities and displaying radical sympathies. He was in favour of the American Revolution and and a sort of call for democracy and the rights of man, even if the American Revolution doesn't essentially live up to a lot of its promises. By making this medal, it's essentially another way of Eccleston showing where he stands politically. When he's made his commemorative medal of George Washington, he ends up corresponding with Thomas Jefferson, who at the time was President of the United States, the third president, a key figure in the founding of the country, wrote the Declaration of Independence, and then also the fourth president of the United States, James Madison. And indeed, there's there's an incident in his letters where he proposes to Thomas Jefferson that he could become the official medalist for the President of the United States. I'm not entirely sure what that would mean. I guess he would be commissioned at the end of every term to do an official medal, but Needless to say, we don't have correspondence or evidence of Jefferson accepting this. But in the letter itself, it's evident that Jefferson has written to him as well. So it's not just a one-way correspondence here. It's not just sort of a random lunatic, you know, message in the, the President of the United States. There, there does appear to be some sort of awareness of who Daniel Eccleston is in the corridors of power in the US.
1: Daniel Eccleston clearly had the facilities through one of his businesses to create coins and medals fairly easily. We know this because this is not the only example in our collection. In fact, Eccleston made a range of tokens used in place of short change, which was lacking at the time, and also a similar medal devoted to Napoleon Bonaparte, yet another confirmation of Eccleston's radical politics. However, to finish this story, we return to George Washington to find out about the familial links that he had to a small village just eight miles north of Lancaster.
0: As are all family trees, these are wonderfully convoluted, so I'll try to present this as clear as possible. But essentially, the village of of Wharton is the key. It's likely that the first descendant of Washington arrived in Wharton around 1300. So we're talking way, way back here. And the family appears to have have resided there for several generations. They appear to be a pretty well-established family. For instance, they helped fund a church tower in the 15th century in Wharton. They have their own coat of arms, which some have noticed bears a bit of a striking resemblance to the stars and stripes of the United States. For instance, this coat of arms is three stars above two stripes. Now the branch that would later lead to George Washington directly does move on to Northampton and by the 1600s they become caught up in the English Civil War and as avowed royalists. I don't think they quite flee but they essentially decide that best if we depart the United Kingdom and they, they take sail in 1659 for the only recently established colony of Virginia, which had been settled in 1607. Historians estimate that the first Washingtons who arrived at Wharton were seven generations prior to the future president of the United States. Washington himself, despite commanding the army that would defeat the British Empire and thus establish the US as an independent nation, was aware that he had descended from quote, one of the northern counties of England. Although, perhaps unsurprisingly, given his life's actions, he confessed he cared little about his genealogical roots. If it happened to be travelling by Wharton on the 4th of July in any given year, you might see the odd sight of a, of a US flag flying from the top of the parish church, which they do every year, and the flag was a gift from the US that was sent to the village and when the links between Washington were established. Indeed, even in the past, sometimes things went even beyond this. In 1976, the bicentennial, the 200-year birthday of the United States, Wharton engaged in 10 days of celebrating U.S. independence and had various events based around this. And I think they had hundreds of Americans who were based around Flock to take part and indeed one historian sam edwards went as far as saying that it was it was a key example of the maintenance of the quote-unquote special relationship between britain and the united states so so little wharton goes a long way
1: thank you so much for listening to this episode of 100 years 100 objects why not listen to some of our other episodes where we look at other revolutionary thinkers from scientists to suffragettes